This is the Truth Warrior Podcast with your host, David Whitehead. These criminal elements do not only include your average street gang or low-level mafia, but also include a very sophisticated and elite level as well that I think most people can't really wrap their minds around. What language is that? I don't know. Where the hell are we? I think we're under the city. Maybe some kind of underground base or something. There's gotta be a way out. I'm just hoping nobody saw us dropping in. Operation Steel Fist has been a complete success. All security stations stand down to operational Right. Operation. We have eliminated the terrorists. Okay. We got them! We wiped them out! Right. <laughs> It's a win, man! They got to meet the A-Team! I'm hearing something. Projections show that by the year 2025, not only America, but the entire planet will be under the protection and the dominion of this power alliance. The gains have been substantial, both for ourselves and for you, the human power elite. <laughs> You have given us entree to the resources we need in our ongoing quest for multidimensional expansion. And in return, the per capita income of each of you here tonight has grown, and this year alone, by an average 39%. The underground terrorist network has been destroyed here on the West Coast. We are off crisis alert. The situation is normal again. Oh, yes. How you doing, boys? I didn't know you'd been recruited. Welcome aboard. I gotta tell you, I sure am proud to be here. You seen the whole place? I haven't had a chance to yet. Come on, I'll show you around. All right. Come on, indeed. Let me show you around. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning into Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. I am so stoked to be here with you on today's date, which is where the hell is today's date? May the 5th. Oh, my God. I didn't even notice the date. May the 5th. Isn't that some kind of like satanic ritual date or something? I don't know. Anyways, welcome, guys. We're going to be exploring, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating subjects I've covered it here and there in the past. I just want to keep adding layers to it. And that is the hidden underground empire, the underground world. Is it just a metaphorical statement that we say that there's a criminal underground or that there is some kind of elite underground infrastructure of secret society, secret networks, secret governments, shadow governments, deep states, secret societies? criminal cartels and mafias 
I think anybody listening to this wouldn't have a problem admitting that there are those elements in our world, right? But how deep does it go? How deep literally and figuratively does it go? Is there some kind of breakaway sect or group or civilization or society, a breakaway society as it was being hinted at in that movie, They Live, which is uh, proving to be much more of a documentary than just a entertaining science fiction film written by John Carpenter. Makes you wonder how much they've been telling us. And we don't have to just sit here and speculate, guys, about what we see in Hollywood, because I could have picked, oh my God, dozens of films. I'm sure as you're watching this today, you'll probably have a bunch of movies pop in your head that has, has touched on these themes. Today, we're going to be looking at this, and I have a feeling as I was preparing this, that this is only going to be part one. <laughs> I'm going to have to do part one. If you guys like this topic and you enjoy today's episode, please let me know in the comments. Hit me up on my Telegram or my Twitter. On Telegram, you can find me, t.me forward slash dwtruthwarrior. On Twitter, I am at truthwarriordad, because my other one got banished and hasn't been returned yet. Um, but let me know. Let me know if you want to keep going down this rabbit hole, because I got lots on it. And there's an, a few episodes that I can recommend that you can look at um, that I think were really well done. There was a show that I did, I want to say 2020, with Michael Tessarian on Truth Warrior. This was, uh, it was on my YouTube channel when, before that channel got banned. Um, I don't think you can find the video copy of this show. It's called Fallen Angels in the Underground World. It's like a four-hour show. We go into all kinds of stuff with this. Um, you can go and get that show on my Podbean or my iTunes. Uh, those are the channels that never banned me. Um, so the whole archive of most of the shows that I've done, I did lose a bunch in the, in this sort of censorship process. Most of those shows you can find on Podbean or in, or iTunes. Uh, the other show that I'll recommend in tandem with this is an interview that I did with a gentleman from Toronto named Shane Bales. And I got a clip from that, that I'm going to be playing. And I think it's called insider speaks out Illuminati whistleblower or something like that. Uh, anyways, fascinating interview. Um, I don't know if everything he told me was true or not or whatever, but I find these little pieces here and there that start to line up with actual research. So you're not just relying on eyewitness testimony or, you know, the rumor mills. You can actually go and find data points and factual pieces of information that we on the outside, us serfs, us little people that are just trying to figure out what the uh, what the great powers in the world are up to behind the scenes while we're asleep and possibly even right under our feet. Um, we just have to fill it in with a bit of speculation that I think is calculated intelligent speculation. It's not just a bunch of conspiracy theories. <laughs> it's something that you can find pieces and then just Put on the back shelf, keep researching, keep seeing things unfold. More and more information is coming out and you just keep adding it to the pile. And that's all I've ever done. I don't have a magic ball. I don't have inside sources. I don't have any of that. I'm just a guy researching it and finding these data points that might seem separate and seeing if there's something to it because why we're trying to explain our current situation. We're trying to find the answers 
to how things got to be the way they are and what's really going on in the underworld of the world. We're just the surface dwellers. What's going on underground? What's with all the, we're learning about this with the, what's happening on the borders of various countries, my country, Canada, US border, Europe, how there's underground borders or, or underground, probably underground borders, underground tunnel systems where they traffic people across the borders illegally to get them into the country. And along with trafficking people for just bringing them in, um, uh, or more likely for the business of human trafficking, which has relations to the sex trade, the organ trade, the drug trade, the weapons trade, underground terrorism networks, etc. Um, we've been learning a lot more about that, haven't we? Starting to come out into the mainstream now. Who I haven't heard any apologies to those of us who've been looking at this for literally decades as to calling us names. And now we're being vindicated yet again. And they're still chirping away and pretending like they just discovered it. Do you really think you just discovered it, MSNBC? <laughs> Come on. You didn't. We got to go to people like who I'm going to be bringing up today to get into the just the scale of it as a possibility. Okay, so we're, we're going to combine factual points of data that I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you where they're documented that you can go and look up yourself. And then there's going to be some speculation based on my interpretation of the data. And then you got to try to ask the, the next questions because we're limited on data. I mean, we've got a lot, but we're still limited. So, but don't ever be afraid to go down those avenues of speculation because there's, as I said, there's intelligent speculation versus just you're making shit up and pretending it's legit. So I'm going to clarify. I'll do my best to make sure that I'm clarifying. If I'm making a point that is backed by solid verifiable research for you and versus here's just some speculation kind of based on what we're looking at. And then you feel free to plug your speculation in, in the chat. Um, cause we're all just looking at this. It's variations. We're not, you know, we're just looking at it in different ways. And I think that's important, but before we dive in, just want to say, how's it going today? I decided to try to stream to the, my new YouTube channel, which is kind of already holding on by a thread. Um, we'll see how this goes. I'm hoping this isn't too censorable today. I want to try to get this out to some fresh eyes. But if you're new to my channel, if you're new to my show, welcome. Uh, you're in for quite the treat. You're in for quite the ride. If you want to find out more about my work and the backlog, all of it can be found over at dwtruthwarrior.com. That is my website. If you'd like to support my show and support this work that I do, uh, you can support it by sharing it out. That's the best way. Just share out if you like it, if you're enjoying this show, if you benefit from it, share it with other people. That really helps a lot. Give me thumbs up, put some comments all that kind of good stuff. Okay. That really helps. Uh, if you want to go to the next level of support, you can support my amazing sponsors. Like right now I'm wearing my new call to the medic exposed fear, not line, beautiful hoodie, uh, made by my good friends, rise attire. And, uh, you can go and get all that information over at cult of If you don't know what that is, that is my documentary series. The clip that I opened with is a little clip from that docu-series. Uh, it's chapter eight, Underworld, which is what we're gonna be looking at here a little bit more. I like that episode, it was a lot of fun to make and I could really only scratch the surface. So that's why I like these podcasts where I can fill it in. And I've also put my other sponsors in the description. 
Um, I work with a really good company that does health products, collagen, you know, these kinds of things. They're really, really good. And I've got all those linked below. You can get all the discounts and every little bit helps. And I hope that uh, the sponsors that I'm choosing also uh, help you with what you're looking for. So there's that. But what are we doing, guys? Well, today I'm dedicating this show to the work of the great Dr. Richard Souter. And a quick story before I get into this book. I'm so mad at myself because I did an interview with Dr. Richard Souter. It was a last minute thing that happened at, I want to say 2009, 2009, 2010, around there. It ended up being an audio only pre-recorded interview. I, I was supposed to get him on, I think I was on American Freedom Radio or one of those online radio shows back then. But I had, because of his schedule and he was in the process of like getting out of the States at the time and, and moving. And uh, so I just pre-recorded it and ended up putting it on my YouTube channel at the time. And that was one of my older channels that I started to have some issues with in terms of censorship, even back then. And then I had backed up that interview on one of my hard drives that I used when I did the modern knowledge tour 2014. And we put so much stuff on those hard drives. And then one of those hard drives got stolen and the other one just totally shut down. And in order to get it operating again, it would have cost like what, $2,000 or whatever to get them to be able to open it up. So I don't know. I lost a bunch of stuff. And I believe that that interview was lost there as well. I've even tried to Google it to see if anybody had saved it and put it on their site and I can't find it. And I'm really mad because I love that interview. I would have taken clips from that interview for today, but today I'm going to be going through some clips of some presentations that Dr. Souter has made. Uh, we're going to go through a bunch of that uh, today and I've got a lot to share with you, but just a great guy. I got to talk to him off air. I believe he was definitely a legitimate researcher. He contributed so much to this question of underground tunnels, bases, maglev trains. If you've heard about any of that stuff, this guy was doing the academic research on it. He was going in to find, he actually found a lot of not classified information that's there for the, in the public record. He, as he started doing his research, he started to find all the patents on the technology that they would use to bore through um, different parts of the earth to create these underground systems. He got the Navy documents that, uh, you know, just military documents on the designs, on the intention to build these underground facilities. So he focused a lot on the role of the military industrial complex, deep state sort of angle of it. And just giving you an idea of, Hey, if this is what I can find by literally going to public records, and just making some requests. Hey, could I have that document? Or um, Stanford Research Centers, going down to Stanford Research and going in and pulling out their studies and their documents that they were doing research on behalf of the military for in regards to this kind of classified or not so classified technology. And as he started looking at the surface level, he found so much that most of this book, which is called Hidden in Plain Sight, and that's why, most of the documents, the, the pictures, the images, the technology that he puts in this book, and he puts it all in with the numbers and everything, the patent numbers, you can find it all here. It's hidden right in your face. And he's like, if that's what they're telling you publicly, we didn't even get into the D-classed stuff, let alone what is not known or never to be revealed. And so he walked in, basically stuck his toe into the door of this very clandestine world. 
of black projects, dark money, underground systems, underground cults, underground, like the whole thing. And he just went, wow, there's a whole underground world hidden right in front of our faces. And there are connections to a lot of various seemingly disconnected threads of research. And that's why I like Dr. Souteris. He was always very honest about that. He'll, you'll see in some of the clips we're going to go through, he's very forward about where he gets the information, what he can prove, what he can't. And I really appreciate people like that. So I have nothing but the best respect for the man. I really hope he's still going with his work. I've tried to find websites. I'm, I'm, I got to look into it more because if the man still does interviews and he ever hears this, Richard, please come on back on the show. I'd be honored to have you. Uh, you're just a gem. And I, I just really want to thank you for all your research. So today it's dedicated to him. And I feel like this series will have to be a bit of a series going on here and there because there's so many great people that I can bring to your attention. Because uh, I didn't invent any of this. I'm not you know, saying I crack some code. I just, I like to compare notes. So I collect the data from these brilliant minds that did the actual digging on it. And then I just want to show you who they are so that you can go follow up on it. And this is a great place to start. Hidden in plain sight, beyond the X-Files. It's all right here. And so I just want to quickly talk about, so if you just go to the contents, you know, chapter one, how far down, getting into uh, these Nazi engineers that were brought over in paper clips, secret US military bases, elevators to the subterranean and submarine depths, you know, where are all the bases like, and then chapter two letters from the underground mailbag, secret tunnels beneath Washington, DC talks about place like the Williamson tunnels underneath Liverpool, UK salt mines in Detroit, Michigan. There's a whole subtropolis under Kansas city and Missouri, uh, secret tunnels underlying Tokyo, Washington, DC Metro, um, on and on, you know, subterranean maglev maze. He's got a whole chapter, chapter four on, you know, Alfred I beach or Ellie beach and some of the development of these maglev train systems that were going back as far as world war II, and continued in the American clandestine operations. And then you've got into the abyss. What about beneath the sea? You ever think about that? We talk about underground military bases. Well, that must be just for security of the nation, right? I'm sure. Yeah, there's, there's that, right? You got to have um, strategic military bases that are not viewable from foreign intelligence agencies. Makes sense, right? It's all for just national security, isn't it? But then he follows the money trail. He gets into the trillions of dollars just in certain single instances. Billions and trillions of dollars of taxpayer money funneled by the U.S. government into clandestine operations that the American public has no knowledge of and that's just America. What do you think is going on in your country, right? And how it all works together. So yeah, under sea bases, going right under the ocean floor. Did you hear about that? Did you know the technology existed as far back as the 1960s? And they had patents on it. And they were actively talking in Stanford Research Centers, uh, doing writing papers on how not only is it economically viable and feasible to do these undersea uh, manned bases but it's technologically possible because now we have all of these new technologies to work with and a lot of people don't even know about that that was in the 60s where do you think they are now and that's only what was publicly admitted then he goes into uh some of the stuff in these various mountains 
undersea cities, the, the question. And then he gets into the alien question in chapter seven, <laughs> stranger than Dorothy's Kansas, the joint military and alien abductions into underground bases, unearthly disclosure, etc. So it, it, the guy's work is a, is a labyrinth of mystery and it's just amazing, but I love it because it's fully documented, right? So with that, let me introduce you to Dr. Souter. We've got a few different clips to go through. And I'm going to come back in between, give you some comments, and let's go and check this out, shall we? And then we have the very interesting memoirs of Bill Gulley, who worked 11 years in the White House for four different administrations, starting in the 60s and running up, starting in the... the uh, Carter administration, uh, excuse me, LB, Lyndon Baines Johnson administration, and running up to the first part of the Carter administration. He worked for most of that time in one capacity or another with something called the military office. Now, I hadn't read of the military office or knew much of anything about it until I happened to pick up this book. The military office works out of the White House. It essentially is a, an office. Um, that puts at the president's sole discretion, discretion a slush fund of unknown millions of dollars to use as he sees fit in secrecy without any congressional oversight. Um, the president um, proposes and the military office disposes. That's the way it works. Is that constitutional? I don't think so, but that's the way it works. Um, so anyway, Bill Gawley worked in these capacities in the White House. and. In his book, he, he has a very great many fascinating things to say, but I wanted to extract just a few of the, of, of, the, of, the, of the sentences where I feel he got right down to the meat of the matter. Basically, the military office makes it possible for the president to do the things he needs or wants to do, whether they're covert or for all the world to see. It's no exaggeration to say it's the president's Aladdin's lamp. There's nothing that can't be done, and there's a bottomless pit of money, ingenuity, and resources to do it with. Is that clear? Is there anyone here who does not understand that? that that's at least since the 1960s, and quite possibly before that. I'm guessing it was that way before that. Maybe for a long time before that. How much money are we talking about here? Who knows? Bill Gull is not telling for obvious reasons, which he sets out in his book. But he goes on to say that a lot of this money was lavished, um, judging from, from his comments in his book, uh, back in the 1950s and 60s already, on, on scores of very deeply buried presidential command bunkers sprinkled around the country. And he talks here about not only the number, but the high degree of classification, that they're very deep, um, and that the money for this, look at the bottom, was in the sole control of the military office at the White House. Look at the very last clause, a couple of clauses. It was channeled through a circuitous route the cleverest spy or accountant would have trouble following. In other words, he's talking about a shell game. You can't find that money. It doesn't exist. The cleverest spy, and I believe he was in a position to know a good number of clever spies, 
or accountant, and a man in his position would certainly have known a lot of bean counters, couldn't find it. So this is just one source. And authorization to spend the money, although it was allocated to the army, was given to the Navy. Now you see it, now you don't. Specifically, the Chesapeake Division Navy Engineers. Hmm, the Navy, eh? You'll see a little later why I think that's interesting. The Navy has its thumb on this secret slush fund for building deep multiple scores, sophisticated deep underground facilities. And I want to touch, touch briefly on this question of national security under which so much of this activity has been carried out. No, people who are secure aren't worried about hiding. If you feel really secure, you're not worried about hiding. You're not worried about concealing millions and billions of dollars. This has to do with profound insecurity. People who are really deeply scared, and I mean deeply scared, want to go deep underground because they know better than anyone else what they are up to. And if what they are up to is so deeply dangerous that they need to be thousands of feet underground, then that's where they're going to go without telling the likes of you and me. And I've had to dig a little bit for this information. <laughs> Just opening the door with the money. Follow the money. Where did it go? Where did all that money go from the Pentagon around 9-11, around the invasion of Iraq, right? With Rumsfeld and all that. Like how many instances has this happened just in terms of the, the deep state in America? And when he's talking, he was talking, I think he did this speech when uh, George Bush Jr. was in, you know, where, where wings take dream. Remember that guy? Um, so he was looking at this from the perspective that there was a huge compartmentalized secret operation going on within various elements of the intelligence and military industrial complex, right? So this isn't uh, us saying everybody in the military is evil or wrong or anything like that. This is just an understanding that it was captured and it's run at the top by these people that have been at this for, well, he's going to get into a little bit about the age of this, but it's very interesting when you start looking at where's all this money going. And then you have admissions from various insiders over the decades coming out and you're never going to connect it if you just read one of them. But if you read multiple and then you look at the documents themselves and then you study the subject itself, you can really start to put quite the picture together about just how big this is, how, how deep and wide it really is. So if we see that the United States infrastructure, as we were warned by people like Eisenhower, were basically taken over by this industrial complex. And who is that but the globalist deep state cabal, the private families, you know, the secret society networks that have more money and power going back through the ages than you can possibly imagine. Of course, they're going to get their grimy hands into positions of power, especially as America's getting more powerful over time. And so they take out and they get into the top key positions of influence in the black budget classified world. And what would you do if you now had at your disposal countless money streams? Okay, because the money stream he is going to be laying out here is only to do with 
taxpayer money taken and put into these projects. And we're already in the billions and trillions that go missing here and there all through these different decades. What do you think about the funneling? If you know that the intelligence world, which I dive into the cult of intelligence in my cult of the medic series in, um, that's in chapter eight as well. So chapter eight's a good one for this show. You realize that these guys that came in and took out the, took over the top levels of the CIA, uh, they were connected to organizations like the Knights of Malta and these groups connected to the Vatican and the P2 Lodge and the Grand Orient and all that. And so they had got their guys in position and they had endless amounts of money and support. And it wasn't just that they had all these big banking families behind them to sponsor it. They were fleecing the American tax dollar or taxpayer. And they're doing it to all of us in our countries. You know, look at Canada right now, <laughs> just getting totally fleeced from every angle. So there's multiple streams of income that they can bring into these black operations that you know nothing about, nor would you want to believe exist, that it's very easy to have plausible deniability, isn't it? When you just go... And you see these congressional records of them actually under oath discussing these different, oh, where's the missing money? And they're asking NASA or something, where did that missing money go? Or they're asking some organ, and they're like, yeah, just kind of, we, we can't really find it. We don't know what happened to all those billions of your tax dollars. And they're like, okay, moving on. Like it's, yet you try not paying taxes. You see how it works? So when I say there's a breakaway civilization or you hear people like Richard Dolan, who was the one that I think first coined that term talking about it. And he does a lot of work on breaking out the, I've seen many presentations where he breaks out a lot of the similar information of just following the money trail of the NRO, you know, and some of these uh, groups and, and just seeing, oh my God, well, what are they doing with that kind of money? Are they just funneling it to themselves or are, are they actually reinvesting it into some of these other clandestine projects? And what is the nature of those and the purpose behind those projects? And is there a criminal element involved? This was another uh, question that I asked in chapter eight was, we all know about the criminal underworld. We hear about it all the time. The human trafficking, the organ harvesting, the drug trade, the gun trade, the everything you can imagine, right? And we think, oh, this is the mafias. This is the... Russian mobs, this is um, the triads and all these different groups. But I also ask, well, okay, so there's the criminal underworld. What about the criminal overworld? Where we get into these high level bloodline family, secret society network cultists that, um, you know, have more power and money than you can, you can imagine. Is there a, a liaison between those two elements, the underworld and the overworld? The underworld can only play to a certain level. And I'm talking about the criminal underworld there. It's compartmentalized as well. And they can only play in the criminal underworld. If you're in the black market of guns and weapons and people, you are doing illegal operations and, um, you know, you're, you're always being hunted and there's a lid to where you can get your enterprise to. Okay. There's a ceiling, but there's no ceiling for the criminal overworld because they play both markets. They play the black checkers on the checkerboard and the white checkers on the checkerboard. They play in both domains. They are masters of both domains. They manage both domains. So we like to say, oh, the government and all these public agencies and 
uh, all these different things. They're there in intelligence agencies, the police forces of the world, the military. They're all there to protect us from the criminal underworld. What if you find out they've been doing business together for decades, if not centuries? So you just started by, okay, let's dip our toe into this pool to see what the water feels like. We just start by following the money and wondering where all this missing money is going. And then you start pulling out all the layers of documentation that you can see where indeed some of this money is going. So let's get to uh, the second clip here. And there are other agencies. We heard about the executive office of the president, in other words, the White House, or was it, is the military office part of the Pentagon? See, we're, we're in a no man's land there, a gray world in the black world where things happen and no one's accountable. But vast sums of money vanish completely into very deep, high-tech holes in the ground. Well, let's look at another federal agency, HUD, for example. I was recently struck by the fact that there was an audit done about in the year 2000 or so of HUD that was covered in these hearings in the year 2000 in the Congress. And um, it turns out $59 billion could not be found by the auditors at HUD. The accountants went through the books, and at the end of it all, they said, right, where are the missing $59 billion? Well, they weren't there. But don't you be late with your check to the IRS and account for every nickel. But you see, it's not just the Pentagon. It's not just the White House. It's not just HUD. It's NASA. I got this off the internet um, just last week. USA Today ran this little story, and it was in the news one day, and then bang, it's gone. You see these little items pop up, except they're not really little items. Look at this. I just extracted this one sentence. NASA failed to account for billions of dollars spent on the space shuttle and International Space Station. This is from a General Accounting Office report. Next slide, please. So for all of those who think there's going, something fishy going on at NASA, that there might be you know, uh, covert operations, well, guess what? Maybe so. And where does the money come, come from to fund those possible covert operations? Well, there you have the GAO telling you through a story on USA Today last week, there are billions of dollars. They sent in their bean counters, and they say, well, where's the money? NASA couldn't definitively say. So here's the bottom line for the black budget. The scale of the theft is mind-boggling. The size of the black budget is astronomical. Money is obviously not a problem if you have secret projects and programs you want to carry out. I've just showed you from the public record. In aggregate, we're dealing with trillions of dollars right here. The actual figure, dollar amount, is likely to be much larger if that's what you can find out with an easy first cut at the public record. That would be my view. There you go. So where's the corruption begin and, and end in these agencies, right? And again, we're not implicating everybody, nor is uh, Richard Souter. I've spoken to him many times about this, or not many times. I spoke to him in length about this when I had the opportunity. Uh, I've studied it from many people that have been on the inside and looked at it to the best that I can. And again, what we're dealing with is a compartmentalized structure in all these agencies. 
even when you pull out people like Victor Marchetti or some of these other guys who are exposing the the deep state within the CIA, for example, or Ted Gunderson with the FBI, they're always going to tell you there are good people working in those institutions who mean well, who are patriotic, who are believing that they are defending their country and doing what's best. And any secrecy is, is for the, the benefit of the people. It's not to have any shady dealings going on. They believe in what they're doing. And there's and probably the bulk of people in those organizations on the lower levels believe that. Just as it is in any of these institutions. So we got to be careful in our movement of just completely throwing the baby out with the bathwater with everybody and then discounting the other elements that could be there, right? So, but I mean, what else do you need to know? They're not forthright about billions of dollars that go missing and nobody's holding them accountable. What kind of power do you have to have to be able to get away with that? Because you and I definitely don't have that kind of power. So to the people that are going to go conspiracy theories, I've already just given you enough. Richard Souter, Dr. Richard Souter has just given you enough to check yourself and go, well, that is kind of weird. <laughs> there is a bit of a double standard now, isn't there? And I think we could talk about a lot of other examples and other areas of this double, double standard of one law for thee, but not for me. Why are they immune? And you aren't, you aren't. Why is the Knights of Malta, an ancient military chivalric order, secret society that goes back thousands of years. How is it still operational within the UN part of the UN council sits on the United nations as its own nation has complete sovereignty worldwide, real sovereignty. They have their own passports, their own everything. They have their people in the medical world, in the intelligence world, in the government world, in the banking world. And what did we just experience through the last three years? We experienced how your politicians and all the people making up the rules and taking your tax dollars and funneling it into a new experimental jibber jabby, right? Without oversight, without any proper checks and balances, only the illusion that that's the case. And then they're going to go, now you must take this. You must do this. But then they have immunity from it. You need the passports. We don't. We already have the international sovereign passports. You don't. A million other examples I could give you. So to naysayers, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what are you? You're in denial of the fact that right out, we haven't even gotten into the, the real thick of it yet. I've already hopefully given you enough to go, I better start doing some more digging because that is an interesting point you raised, Dave, that these agencies for decades have been getting away with taking your money. It'd be different if they had their own private enterprises, which they also have that also, okay? And, and the black market stuff. It'd be different if they were in the out in the light. You know, like he said, if you're hiding to this degree and you have no, there's no... Uh, public, what's the word I'm looking for? Oversight. Okay. If you, what are you afraid of? It, you can't just hide behind the excuse of national security, national security. You can, you can only hide behind that for so long because that only is justified 
to a point because even things that are related to national security, there should still be a receipt trail for. They should be like, guys, we took $57 billion of money that you worked for and you gave the government in good faith to help build better roads and better schools and all that, which they don't do. And yet we sent it to, we don't know. It went to Mars or something. We don't know where the money went. And then people go, oh, okay, you're the government. I guess we can just totally trust you. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And then there's the trillions of dollars missing from the Pentagon budget and on and on we go. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's all our money going? And why is our country in debt? And that is now affecting us and inflating our currency and all this shit. Like at what point would you go, hold on a second. We got we to gotta check into this. I should read Dr. Souter's book. I should go and look into these black budget operations and find the history of it and go, you know, look at the whistleblowers that have come out for the last 40 years and see what they have to say and see if it has any connection to what kind of chicanery and criminal activities going on in our government right now. That's blatantly obvious to anybody that still has any neurons firing in their brain. So I just had to say that because I'm kind of getting sick of all these people that are still like, oh no, this year couldn't be, Dave. It's just, you're just making things up and drawing conclusions. But let's continue because guys, like I said, we're just kicking the door open here. Established, I hope to your satisfaction that there, is, there are huge amounts of money in the black budget, vast amounts of money to carry out large civil engineering projects among others. Now I want to talk about compartmentalization. So you have the money, you want to make secret, clandestine, and underground facilities. How are you going to do that secretly to keep people from knowing? Well, you can't absolutely hide a large underground uh, project or civil construction project, but you can disguise it in a sense, maybe hide it in plain sight. Next slide, please. The best explanation I have seen for how compartmentalization works comes right out of the horse's mouth. Next slide, please. From a man named John Pena Craven. He's actually uh, has a, a doctor in oceanography. He was had a very important position for the United States Navy during the height of the Cold War. He was a research scientist in charge of their special projects office for their undersea division. And um, he authored a book called The Silent War. I highly recommend it to you. It came out two or three years ago, I guess, three years ago, and I've read it. It was fascinating to me. In that book, he shows how, <clears throat> or he cites as an example how the Polaris program served as cover for a uh, very secret program called Sand Dollar, which was designed to recover sensitive military hardware and technology from the ocean floor. Now obviously, that covers the waterfront, sensitive military technology. That could be stuff from the Russians or the Red Chinese or someone like that, or conceivably it could be Roswell type of debris that came down at sea. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying that occurred to me as a possibility while I was reading the book. But anyway, his example, the Polaris submarine program. The Polaris was the first generation of nuclear missile firing submarine that the United States Navy had back in the 50s and 60s but was open program number one. You could read about the Polaris submarines in the, in the newspaper and see it on TV. That served as cover for a secret program number two, and program number two served as cover for 
program number three, which was the so-called sand dollar program. So you didn't read about sand dollar in your, in your newspaper. You read about the Polaris program. But people that worked in the sand dollar program would have had the Polaris program as a cover for their activities. And then there was a second program interme intermediary in between there. He points out that recovering this hardware was a task that they carried out not only on the continental shelves, but in a deep sea, mid-ocean environment as well. And in order to do that, they needed to develop a new generation of, of technology, enabling them to go very deep down, many hundreds and even thousands of feet, to put divers physically down in the water at very great depth, and also to design submersibles that could go down thousands of feet. And the people involved in this program had such an extraordinary degree of, 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 of security that their clearances required them to not even discuss what they did with their families, their associates, their friends, their colleagues. Um, so you would have a husband who would go to work and maybe go to sea on a Polaris submarine, for example, and do something else. Bye, honey, I'll be back in six months. I'm at sea. Well, guess what? Maybe not. Or, honey, you know, I work at the Pentagon, and I'm working on the Polaris program. Maybe not. Maybe not working on Polaris. Or maybe don't tell your wife anything at all. Maybe your wife wouldn't even know you're working for the Navy. Maybe your wife wouldn't even know you were working. I don't know. Anyway, the cover is extreme, and he makes that very clear in his remarks, um, that people work, who work in this degree of secrecy um, do it in such a manner that even, even blood relatives, people that live in the same house with them, don't know what they're doing because it's a condition of their clearance that they don't tell them. You in this room who are married, perhaps to someone who works for the feds, you really know what your spouse does? It's no guarantee. Not at all. And you think your marital vow is stronger than that? I'm telling you, it's not. Because you sign your life away when you go on these programs. I uh, really love that clip. <clears throat> that is, uh, that's a killer. That's a denier's killer because you don't know what you don't know. It's as simple as that. Yet we like to walk around with the belief that we know because that gives us the feeling of security because not knowing induces fear and anxiety and who wants to feel fear and anxiety. So it's better to just pretend like we know and just move on like nothing's happening when in fact everybody on this planet is on a need to know basis and you know what you need to know at the time that you need to know it. And unless you activate your own intelligence and your own reason, can you actually know? Right. And especially when it comes to these kind of projects, interesting how he's talking about the black project world or the secret, uh, you know, the uh, the military program world. Right. How that's compartmentalized, how it works and how extreme secrecy. Right. Have you ever heard of that term extreme secrecy? It's right there. You can even get into this studying some of the stuff that came out of the Soviet Union when that came down and everything else as to the layers of compartmentalized secrecy about various program programs and projects and while there can be justifications for various layers of secrecy with various projects how do you know who's watching the watchers 
How do you know that all of those secret programs and all of those layers of compartmentalized secrecy are all being done for the good of your country or your destiny or your children's future or this world or humanity who the top scientific institutions and global elites are publicly talking about it, about how they see that humanity is too many in number and we need to do something about this problem to stop climate change. So they're publicly talking about that. You don't know the compartmentalized layers that go beyond that whole narrative and what's behind it. And that's just one little example to get into how this whole compartmentalized structure works. And then you get into stuff like this. Dave, there's no such thing as deep underground bases or deep undersea bases or connective tunnels or a whole underground infrastructure that's been built for 40 to 60 years, probably built off of already existing ancient tunnel systems that go through Turkey and, you know, Ukraine, etc. That doesn't exist because I didn't read about it in the paper. And I didn't read about it in any of the documents that I looked at for five minutes. And so it can't exist. So that kind of stuff is just to get you to go, or that kind of statement from Dr. Souter is just to help you understand, not to say anything declarative, not to say, here's all the solid proof of what is in existence, but simply to establish the point, you're on a need to know basis. So let's all have a little humility before this subject. And try to just realize that even I don't know, even Dr. Souter doesn't know. Everybody knows little pieces. And even your friend who's like, oh, I know a guy who's a Mason, or I know a guy who used to work in these military projects. And he knows everything. Really? If one guy is coming up to you to say, yeah, I used to work in the intelligence world. And yeah, I can tell you all this secret stuff about JFK and the aliens and the whole thing. He was full of shit. It's impossible. You're compart you, you, and even that guy might actually believe it. Might actually believe it. But again, there's levels above, right? And the other thing that he says about this, it kind of made me think of that movie True Lies with Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis, their dynamic in that movie where Schwarzenegger is this intelligence operative going on all these clandestine missions um, and she has no idea. And then there's this whole dynamic that happens in the film. They've talked about this for a long time, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you know. And when he was breaking down how the projects work, where when you get signed onto these projects, you're making an oath that transcends your oath to your family, to your wife, your marriage. What if I told you that on the cult level of this, right? So just leave the black budget world aside for a second on the cult level and the occult secret society work, those oaths are blood oaths that are ancient oaths that transcend constitutions, swearing on a Bible or a Quran or whatever, any of the stuff they do in, in public. And you wonder how could some of these deep state players get up on the stage and swear an oath to the constitution and swear when, when Biden gets sworn in or Trudeau gets sworn in or any of these people get sworn in, they're making an oath to do the best for the country and they're swearing on the Bible or they're swearing on the constitution. And then they get in and they're completely violating all of those things on day one. And you're like, what, who are these people? Well, they're people that already made previous oaths and allegiances that supersede what the public perceives as the ultimate oath and allegiance. 
So you pledge an allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, or we pledge an allegiance to whatever when we join our military here in Canada. And behind the doors, they're pledging allegiance to other things that are completely out of this universe that you know nothing about. And that's why they can do it. And that's how they can lie right through their teeth because they have the security of knowing that they are protected under those laws that the average human running around on the farm has no idea about. So just keep that in mind that it's layers of secrecy and it works very similar in, in a lot of these secret society networks with that idea. It's it, actually the intelligence world was built out of secret society networks and private families. Okay. So all that stuff to do with how the military structure is built, it's all Masonic. It's all, that's all that all that whole infrastructure of how to build that. And I'm not saying it's all evil either. It's just knowledge, right? Of how to build a structure that works. You need a compartmentalized structure in a military. You don't need every grunt on the battlefield to know the whole battle strategy. In fact, that would work against you. So there's, there's reasons for it in certain areas, but do you see how that's the perfect place for criminality and evil to thrive because it's in secret. It's in a level of secrecy that you and I can't even imagine. Like you probably have secrets. We all have se little secrets, right? We keep secrets from our friends and spouses on certain things, just stupid shit, right? Like whatever. But <laughs> we, that's why we don't even, we're not even connected to this. These are blood oaths. These are beyond what we think they are. And that's how it functions. That's how that whole world works. Because you know why I'm doing this? Everybody that's going to come and say, oh, it's conspiracy theory. They don't understand this component. They honestly think that if they Google something, they're going to find the whole story on it. <laughs> or if they go to the National Archive and go try to get, uh, you know, uh, what's one of those things called? Where you try to get the government to declassify what they have. What's that called? You know what it is. Uh, you think you're finding the whole trail, the whole story. Do you think they document everything or do they document it in a way knowing that down the road someone's going to maybe declassify that so they do it in a certain way and they have their way around it all? So not to say that any of that research or going and looking those isn't valuable. It absolutely is. It's basically all we can really go and look at. But just to, in the back of your mind, this is what I keep when I'm doing my research is I know I'm on a need-to-know basis. And I haven't always been perfect at this, but I'm trying to be better at it, which is to just always relay what I know with my theory, but knowing that I'm also giving you just my one take and there could be so many other things going on with it. And so, but I know enough to, I don't know anything for sure, but I know enough to know that there is something to know that they don't want you to know and that they're hiding it behind layers and layers and layers and layers of compartmentalization. So what are they up to? The, what I started to really get a feeling of guys when I was doing this research and as I continue to do it is that the nature of the, how do I say it? The level of classification here that we're dealing with that goes well beyond your president. Okay. Anybody thinking the president has that, they have a certain level of access to, and even there's levels above them. But we, we, I've just realized that there's enough smoke to realize that the fire that's happening here is that on this planet, there are activities going on beneath our feet, probably off planet as well, that 
are so, it's so crucial to keep that secret from the public that what we're looking at when we dive into this kind of information is we're just seeing whatever it is they're hiding is so massive and so valuable that they have been able to keep those layers of secrecy going for generations. That that's how important this cover-up is. That's how important whatever's being hidden is to be hidden. And then when you sit, you, you put that on the table and just leave it for a sec and then swing your mind over to this fact that you look at the state of the world. Do you really honestly believe looking at the state of corruption in the world, rampant criminality, running the streets, running your banks, running your governments, running your school systems, running your media, when we, what we're seeing, the Epstein's, where's the client list, right? Who's on it? You know, the royal families. When you see the level, are, are you not, and I know if you're watching, you probably are, but I'm speaking to the beginner here. Are you not also asking, well, if, if I was to say that there's some kind of justification for all that secrecy you've been describing, Dave, if there's some kind of justification for it, it must be to somehow protect the people from something that they just can't know about. So there must be a good intention behind it. It must be for the good, all the secrecy. That's the only argument you can come into before you're going to be on the conspiracy side of the fence. Okay. And that argument falls apart. The moment you look at the state of the world that is being currently watched and managed by the people that are involved in these secret operations. So what does that, what is that alone? We don't need to get in and kick the door down into the, into the temples and pull out all the data, right? We don't even need to because we know enough to know and have at least the suspicion of the fact that if those who are at the, if those who are the watchers, just to call them that label of our medical world, of our government, of our, of our the security of our nation, if the designs are all benevolent, why the fuck is criminality running the roost to the level that it is? So to me, that proves actually that we are justified in pursuing this line of research into why are there, what's, this must be massive, whatever they're hiding. It's funded to the tune of trillions of dollars over generations. People have been killed for coming out with this. People have been threatened. People have been disappeared. People have been censored and silenced for decades. It must be pretty big. But for me to jump to the conclusion that there's some benevolent justification as to why it's so big and so deep, I would then have to see that the world, the state of the world would be in peace. The state of the world would be in a better place than it is. But it isn't. It's the other way. We've got trails and trails of information coming out right now about the complicity of people in positions of power, influence, authority, and trust who are using that power and influence and wealth and all of that to continue criminal activities in consisting of crimes against children, crimes against your country, conspiracy, sedition, etc. right? Treason. They're willing to commit those acts. They're in those positions. And these are the people that have the buttons to all these secret programs. They have access to certain layers of it. They're involved in those things. So for me, I'm not on the side of, oh, there must be some ponies and rainbows explanation to all this secrecy because I see the state of the world as it is. And that enough is enough for me to stay on this track and go, I'm going to keep digging. 
So let's keep digging. What's the next one? What was that? Number four? Uh, yeah, let's do number five. I think this is a bit of a longer one, but really, really important. So just how long has all this been going on? Go Maybe a very long time, as I alluded to at the beginning. Maybe for centuries. Go ahead. I got this slide from the London Transport Museum, just to give an idea of what you can do with technology almost a century old. All of this, if you ever use a tube in London, there's this whole warren, this maze of underground chambers and stairs and escalators, etc. And it was all excavated through that central shaft there you see in the left hand with a spiral staircase going down. That's an 18-foot diameter shaft. All of what you see was excavated through that 18-foot diameter shaft. What I'm telling you is, you can have a rather innocuous looking shaft and you can say, huh, it's an elevator shaft. Right. One elevator shaft will suffice to make something like that and even much larger using today's technology. Go ahead, please. Out of sight, out of mind. In the 18th, 19th century and the 1860s, Alfred Eli Beach, the editor of the Scientific American, had a clandestine tunneling um, project in midtown Manhattan. He went out at night from the basement of the department store and made a steam engine powered pneumatic driven subway car. If you've eaten at subway sandwich shops, you've seen this on the, on the side of the wall. This is from Scientific American from the 1860s, well from 1870. And people did ride this. He made it secretly with his own funding in the middle of the night. The first black budget secret tunneling program program in Midtown Manhattan using 19th century steam-powered technology. Try that on. Go ahead. So how long has this been going on? Maybe a long time. You've perhaps like me heard these stories of alleged secret underground high-speed tunnels that go coast to coast, supersonic. Um, if they've been made, the tunnels could well have been made with uh, a machine like this. And I assume there's, the military has more than one and may have used the Minovich design. Michael Minovich has patented this. It's a concept for a high-speed, very deeply buried uh, tube transport system with magnetic suspension. The air would be drawn out of the tunnel so you'd have a vacuum. So there'd be no wind resistance, no wind friction, no aerodynamic drag. You'd be suspended on magnets so you wouldn't have any friction from wheels. And he's talking about hundreds of miles per hour. Gravity operated. The thing takes off, it goes down the slope, it accelerates to five, six hundred miles per hour. When it gets to the destination, it comes back up slope and decelerates and cruises into the station where it stops. Go ahead, please. And then from the Office of High Speed Ground Transportation in the 1960s, there was this concept from Joseph Faw of a non-evacuated tube, <clears throat> 15 to 18 foot in diameter, about the diameter of a subway, up to 500 feet underground going 1 to 2,000 miles per hour on a transcontinental scale. And this is, what his, this is what his vehicle looks like. Is something like that zooming along underground? I don't know. Here are the plans. All very highly strange. And I haven't given you any, any classified material at all. So if this is what you can get on the open, from the open literature, non-classified, when, when you go beneath the surface, speaking literally here, not metaphorically. I'm willing to bet it could be even stranger yet. I would agree. 
probably stranger than we know. Um, and guys, so that was uh, that was the next video. There's another one that's before that. But before I get into it, let me just give you a little synopsis here. Uh, some of the notes from this book about just how many there are, right? So you got underground facilities built by FEMA, by NORAD, by the Navy, the Army. The Mormon Church even has a state-of-the-art underground facility in the Wasash Mountains outside of Salt Lake City. Vatican City has their own underground systems. And Scientologists even have their own underground facilities in northern New Mexico. Even major corporations have their own underground various facilities. Uh, you've got known underground base locations at Cheyenne Mountain, Camp David in Maryland, subterranean labyrinth uh, beneath the NSA base in Fort Meade, Maryland. You have the NSA's enormous basement, which stretches for city blocks, blocks and blocks beneath the headquarter building, undoubtedly holds the largest and most advanced computer operation in the world. Um, you've got uh, Raven Rock. You got underground the Pentagon. Mount Weather and FEMA, 400-acre complex. You got the White House as a deep underground facility. And obviously, yeah, you'd have a secure facility underground. That makes sense. But are there layers to it where things happen that we don't know about? You've got more of these things in Texas, Nebraska, New Mexico, Nevada, Colorado, Tennessee, California. Canada even has its share of these underground facilities. And I'm sure they're littered all over the world. So you've got black budgets, missing Pentagon money, drug weapons, human trafficking trades going on right in front of our eyes right under the watch of these watchers. So how do they exist? Yet, if you don't pay your taxes or don't wear a mask in a mall, they're going to come right after you right away. Yet these other criminals get to ran run rampant in our streets. And you're telling me there's no conspiracy. You got secret space programs. That's a whole other podcast. We'll do that on the road. But then there's the ancient thing. And he was asking this question in this clip was, how far back does this go? How far back does this go? Well, You've got ancient underground sites. You've got a place called Nours or Nours located in northern France. Um, and there's a whole underground city. It's got two miles of tunnels and more than 300 man-made rooms. You've got the uh, Walichka salt mines known as the underground salt cathedral in Poland. You've got Lalibela. I got to do a little bit on the unexplained about Lalibela, which is the underground churches that are all over there. They're literally dug out of the ground. They were made, this Lalibela is thought to have been made in 12th century AD. Um, there's a, actually a theory that it was built by the Templars. Um, there's actually 11 eye-catching churches in the Ethiopian village of Lalibela. It was called the New Jerusalem. Uh, the symbolism all over it is just absolutely mind-boggling. And there's a lot of really strange things that have to do with it. You've got Petra. Um, that's basically what was showing up in Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. It's basically an ancient caravan city tucked away in the mountains of southern Jordan. And the site has inhabited, has been inhabited since prehistory, but at its peak some 2,000 years ago when ancient Nabataeans hand-chiseled the surrounding sandstone hillsides into a dazzling collection of tombs, banquet halls, and temples. Uh, you've got Oriveto, which is in Italy, I believe. Yeah, the, it was beginning of the ancient Etruscans. Generations of locals buried their burrowed their way deep into the volcanic rock bluff on which the city was originally built. There's a whole subterranean maze underneath, and it was first carved to build wells and cisterns, but over the centuries it grew to include more than 1,200 interlocking tunnels, grottos, and galleries. Uh, you've got the Burlington Bunker, which is uh, in the event of a Cold War-era nuclear missile strike, the most important members of the British government 
would have been retreated to a 35-acre underground complex located 100 feet beneath the village of Corsham. This Burlington bunker, as it's often codenamed, was first built in the 1950s from a series of already existing tunnels and stone quarries. It contained office spaces, cafeterias, and telephone exchange, medical facilities, and sleeping quarters, all of it designed to keep the British Prime Minister and some 4,000 other key government personnel alive during an emergency. But do they have multiple functions, these systems, right? And then realizing that they're all over the world, it's just incredible to think about this, let alone getting into the undersea thing. And then there's the whole phenomenon of what are called USOs, underwater sub or unidentified submerged objects doing things that defy uh, most of what we're, we think exist. So what's going on, right? Well, let me now do this longer clip uh, and he's gonna get more into how this whole black budget thing works. Well, as I said, to get down deep, they needed new technology. And I wanna, I wanna mention in passing, that if there are three levels of secrecy, which he described in his book, what's to, what's to prevent a fourth level or a fifth level? What John Pena Craven is doing, and you have to understand when you read books by people like him, is that I've never met the man personally, but I think if you read his book with your eyes open and your mind turned on, that you'll get the point he's making. Um, that there are secrets within secrets. Clearly that could extend the subject matter of this co conference and I'll give you an indication of what I'm talking about in a little bit. Uh, but it could certainly, for example, a fourth level of security could have to do with undersea and underground bases and I'll get to that very shortly. A fifth level could conceivably have to do with extraterrestrials. I'm not saying it does, I'm saying I strongly suspect that it does. Appreciate the difference. I, I cannot conclusively prove to you that there are extraterrestrials underground or undersea. But I can tell you I wouldn't be surprised if there are. Well, I talked about new technology, more powerful technology, more sophisticated technology. Tunnel boring machines have been developed and used extensively in the last decades, since the 50s basically. And this is an example of a military tunnel boring machine this photo is from 1982 in Nevada, um, and this machine was owned and operated by the Air Force. I presume there are other military tunnel boring machines. This is the only photo of one I, my research has found so far. But having found this one photo, I've proved the principle. Now, understand that this technology is deployed by a variety of major corporations and government agencies uh, for underground uh, excavation and tunneling. One of those agencies is the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And the um, Deputy Director of Engineering and Construction for the U Army Corps of Engineers in the 1980s made a speech on the public record at a seminar at MIT in Boston where he said, several of the most interesting facilities that have been designed and constructed by the Corps are classified. And the, and the context of his remarks had to do with underground construction. The entire conference he was speaking at had that theme. And he goes on to say, as stated earlier in his remarks, there are other projects of similar scope to the NORAD base in Colorado, which I cannot identify, but which included multiple chambers of up to 50 feet wide and 100 feet high 
using the same excavation procedures mentioned for the NORAD facility. And here's the kicker. Because of the critical and unusual nature of these projects, there were often a large number of consultants and core staff involved during design and construction. The critical and unusual nature of these projects, which he can't talk about, which I'm going to allude to. Here's what I think he meant. I, thi I think he's, he meant what John Pena Craven was alluding to, <clears throat> by implication that is, another level of security beyond the sand dollar program. Next slide, please. In 1969, a report came out of St the Stanford Research Institute in Menlo Park, California. And the title of it was The Feasibility of Manned in Bottom Basis. This report went on to say the construction of 30 manned in bottom bases within the ocean floors is technically and economically feasible. This is in the 1960s. The cost of such a base program will be about $2.7 billion. And I just showed you over $2 trillion in the black budget unaccounted for. You could, for that amount of money, you could make thousands of them. And they go on to say, in a note, that they wish to acknowledge the basic data and cooperation of the Naval Undersea Warfare Center at China Lake. That's the Navy's uh, research, weapons and research station at China Lake, California. Go ahead, please. Which is interesting because this document came out of that same place at China Lake three years before the document I've just shown you discussing that very thing, so-called rock site planning document, talking about manned undersea bases as much as hundreds of miles offshore, connected by hundreds of miles of tunnels, actually tunneled down beneath the seafloor, well out to sea. Next slide, please. This illustration I got from Walt Kirshner. Walt Kirshner uh, was a, an illustrator for this program, uh, this rock site program back in the 1960s. I appeared on the George Newry show. I assume some of you listened to the George Newry show. It's a talk radio show in the middle of the night. And back in the fall of last year, and, and Walt Kirshner happened to be listening that night. He's an elderly gentleman, and he stays up at night and listens to talk radio like millions of other people. And he happened to hear my interview, and, and he contacted me and said, you know, I." I worked with a program that was, you know, planning these types of facilities, and I did some artwork for them. Would you be interested in seeing it? And I said, well, of course. And so he sent it to me, and I, I, I wrote back and said, this is wonderful. Do you mind if I publicize this? And he said, by all means. So courtesy of Walt Kirshner, and he's a gifted artist, we see a rock site facility. On the left, you can see that's actually a... a a docking bay un deep underwater for a submarine. And it comes in through that huge airlock. You can see it on the left-hand side. There it comes. It'll go in and dock. And then you can see uh, on that vertical shaft chambers for the crew and for work areas and power plants. And obviously, this is a schematic. You could have three of those or ten of those, depending on the depth of the facility and how, 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 how big you wanted to make it. This is just a conceptual design. And then you see the tunnels coming down beneath the seafloor with the vertical features. Let me point this out.
Those vertical features, I believe, are intended to be deep undersea, all glass nuclear missile silos. Next slide, please. And this is why I say that. Because in John Pena Craven's book, to which I alluded about five to ten minutes ago, uh, Dr. Craven says that, of course, he worked with Edward Teller, and a lot of people in the military-industrial complex did. Edward Teller was the father of the hydrogen bomb, was very active in nuclear weapons development and deployment. And Teller wanted to make all glass nuclear missile silos and bury them 20,000 feet deep in the seafloor. Why? This is counterintuitive, but at very great depth underwater, glass is tremendously strong structurally. And so it would make the best sense build with glass very deeply. Um, so I, belie I believe that uh, um, those are glass missile silos. Could there be all glass missile silos buried deep underwater secretly? I don't see why not. We're seeing it depicted in this slide here, and we see it discussed by John Pena Craven in his book. Um, could they have done that? Could you have found several billion in that two trillion dollars somewhere to do something like that? Of course. So we've come back around to this China, uh, this um, Stanford Research Institute document, and you can see that you have a connection here between the China Lake Working Group and, and the Stanford Research Institute, which came out with these fairly elaborate plans to make dozens of these facilities on the seafloor, uh, both in, in mid-ocean and on the continental shelves. And in the Stanford Research Institute document, they went on to say that at that time, as of 1969, there weren't any deep-sea vehicles that could go down thousands of feet to mate with the lock of an in-bottom station. In other words, a manned facility actually in the ocean bottom. And that that technology needed to be developed in order to make those facilities. In other words, to make facilities, and this is another slide from, from Walter Kirshner, such as this. There you see submarines hovering around an airlock set in the ocean bottom. This is from 1968, the year before the document I just showed you from Stanford Research Institute. And then that vertical shaft straight down where you would have, I believe you'd have a high-speed elevator in there. And then you see the tunnel boring machine in, in the right-hand corner carving out a tunnel, excavating a tunnel. The, turn, the radius of the tunnel is, de is determined by the turning radius of the tunnel boring machine, which would be hundreds of feet long, by the way. These are very large machines. Here's a depiction of a deep sea base in mid-ocean. Go ahead, please. Here's another example of another deep sea base. You can see the airlock in the middle towards the top. And this would be a sonar array on the ocean bottom with the manned facilities down in, down in the ocean, ocean floor. Go ahead, please. Now, I just showed you that the Stanford Research Institute said, you know, we don't have this deep diving capability, but we need it in order to get these, uh, build these under, undersea facilities we have, we're discussing in these documents. Well, that was built and deployed in the early 1970s, just two or three years later. This is a so-called um, DSRV, Deep Submergence Rescue Vehicle. And this is discussed by John Pena Craven in his book as well. He's saying, look, we needed this deep diving capability. We had to develop it. This is one of the vehicles they developed. Um, they made two of them, ostensibly. But obviously, if you make two openly, what is he telling us in his book? You, you could have a whole fleet of them off of books. But you trot out two for the public. 
these two publicly are being retired. What do you do if you really want to hire something, hide something? You announce, oh, it's obsolete. We're getting rid of it. And the other ten have never been made public. I assume they exist. I believe there probably are other vehicles like this. I'm not sure these are really being retired either. Just, beca just because there's an article in the newspaper saying something is so doesn't necessarily mean it is so. All right, I knew that was a longer clip, but absolutely fascinating. I could I could watch this stuff forever, and there's just so much to it. But interesting stuff, eh? Like going in, checking out what are they showing us publicly. You've got a few of these guys who wrote some books. They're putting out bits of information. He's just putting it all together and just posing the question. You got all this missing money. You've got these public programs, these public things to show, hey, we're doing something with your money. But then there's a much bigger layer. It's like the iceberg picture that you see. Where on the surface, you just see the tip of the iceberg. That's what the public sees. That's what they think they know. That's their reality. It's the tip of the iceberg. But what's below the surface? This mountain, this base mountain of the reality of what's going on that you don't see. And so I wanted you to go through that clip just to get you're just putting your foot into his research. He's written many books on it and he gets into extensive detail about where he's coming up with his concept of it. And I don't know of many people that have really continued Dr. Souter's research. I'm sure there are, you're going to all point, put in, hopefully put some people in the chat if you know, but to that level, like to that caliber that don't get lost in the woods and turn everybody off with a bunch of nonsense, right? Like where's the hard research? continuing in that field. Well, that's where we come in. You come in and keep digging into it. What can we get declassified? And it makes me think of something. I just want to see uh, something really quickly on that note of classified information. Um, I just want to see if I've got it written out. Well, Professor Anthony Sutton, I've done this before as well for those that have been following me for a bit, but it's really important to have it here too, where he basically wrote out the, the different levels of classified information. And I think he broke it into four different, four different levels where you have what the public thinks is the information. Then you have the next level, which would be what the intellectual class thinks is the reality. And then you have the next level, which is the newly declassified information from whatever various sources that talk about a whole different level than those first two levels of general public based on the media and then the intellectual class who think they know everything, but they're still uncompartmentalized, need to know. And then there's the people that know how to go and actually declass information and get it out to the public. And then there's like level four where you have the ability to do comparative analysis of all that information of all those levels to try to get to an even deeper level. And that's where I feel like Dr. Souter is coming from is he's trying to go through all of that He's mostly focusing on publicly available documents, but I know that he also had access to declassified stuff and even classified stuff that he couldn't talk about publicly because 
A, he didn't feel he needed to. He just wanted to put everybody on the trail with what's publicly there. So that's irrefutable. And B, for protection. Because anybody that actually does come out, look what happens to these Julian Assange's, right? So that is key. And how are we doing for time? I'm wondering which, I think I'll do... Yeah, you know what? Let's just finish up with Dr. Souter. He's got another short two-minute clip. He just closes it off really well. And then um, we'll move on to the next stage of this. Here we go. Characterization of underground facilities. Some of you may have heard of the Jason Group, Jason Committee. This, 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 this report was published by the MITRE Corporation in 1999. They went on to say in their report, underground facilities not only protect critical activities but also conceal them. Once built, it may be very difficult to determine the nature of the facility. What are they telling you? You build it and you do whatever you want in it and no one will know. This isn't hard to figure out. This report comes from the inside of the American military industrial complex. You know, it's like nothing in a sense is being hidden. All of this is in the open if you look at it. As Jesus is alleged to have said, let those who have eyes to see, see. Have you seen what I've been showing you? Have you really thought about it? Let those who have ears to hear, hear, ears to hear, hear. Have you heard what's been said? So we're down Alice's rabbit hole here, big time. What is going on? Well, the stories I've heard have to do with, I can't tell you for a fact what I know of is going on underground, at least in part, going down that list. Mind control, yes, I have some indications of mind control projects, at least in part being carried out underground, at least in some facilities. Um, shadow government, oh yeah, big time, no doubt about that. FEMA, Executive Office of the President and others, no question. Corporate secrecy, huge. Oh, that's absolutely involved there. Um, weapon systems, of course. Neo-Nazi forces, yes. The paperclip scientists came here in large numbers after World War II. Some of them, including Werner von Braun personally, were involved in this. At one time, Werner von Braun was working out a Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama, and there were pl plans, which I discussed in my first book, to make an underground missile factory beneath Green Mountain, which is just a few miles outside of Huntsville, Alabama. And when I first ran across that factoid, I wondered why. Now I understand, because that was in the 50s. You have to understand just 10 years earlier that Werner von Braun was building V-2 rockets for Hitler. And he was constructing them in the underground missile factory, the Mittelwerk factory in the Hartz Mountains. And when I, when I read that, I understood, aha, you know, he went from building missiles for Hitler to building missiles for Truman. And Truman said, told von Braun, look, whatever you did for Hitler, I want you to do the same thing for me. In fact, they brought as many of the V2s as they could get to the United States and when they ran through all of them they started building another generation of rockets and ultimately ended up in the, the Saturn V rocket that went to the moon but von Braun was involved in all of that and when I read that I understood aha he wanted to reproduce the same plant he built for Hitler for Truman he wanted to make in Alabama what he had made in the Hartz Mountains in Germany ten years earlier next slide please but uh, let, before we go there to the theme of this conference. Could there be aliens underground? Oh, I think so. Can I prove to you that they're there? No. 
That's real hard to do. That's one of the hottest third rails on this planet. Um, and I can't prove it. But what I can prove to you in spades is that there is a high degree of secrecy around this whole topic of underground and underwater facilities and that a lot of planning, only a small part of which I've shown you this morning, has gone into that and a lot of money. Could there be joint human-alien bases? I'm starting to think there could be. I can't prove it, but I, I, def, I definitely am open to that possibility. Is organized crime under, involved underground? Well, I think stealing trillions of dollars from the American people is a very organized crime. Next slide, please. And I want to mention briefly two cases, then I've got to clear out from the next speaker. James Walden. Uh, wrote a book called The Ultimate Alien Agenda, and he alleges to have been abducted to a base underground uh, in Kansas. He, he knows that because he was being examined by these alien creatures and looked around and saw a good number of human beings there in attendance as well. And the alien telepathically communicated to him, you're in an underground facility beneath southeast Kansas. I think that could be true. Go ahead. But there are a lot of people who've popped up with these kinds of stories. This man is not the only one. I just mentioned him because I happened to recently read his book. But there are many others with these stories. Um, I will say that it raises a question as to who or what really controls this planet and how deep the illusions go. I'm here to tell you I think the illusions go real deep, physically deep, as well as in a metaphorical sense. And I think that the political illusion is real deep. I think the control is insidious and not in our best interest. And if anyone in this room is involved in these secret activities, I have to say, I'm sorry for you, number one. If you want to leave it, do. If you want to unburden your heart, you want to, you want to provide information to me or someone, some other researcher here, please do. But please know, if you're operating this extreme secrecy, if you're involved in a program that's, spilling, that's stealing trillions of dollars from people, don't you know that's wrong? Next slide, please. So finally, I'm just going to say, it is our right to know. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it is our right to know. I just want to know what is known. I don't, I'm not asking to know what isn't known on the planet. I just want to know what are these, what do these private corporations, private families and government agencies and clandestine operations, what is known? What's going on? Don't you? We get hints. He's even getting into the ET stuff here. The big question about that. And everybody's got their theory on it, but either way, we know there's a lot of, uh, very, very interesting cases. There's a lot of nonsense out there too, but there's a lot of very interesting cases. And just to kind of maybe bring it there for a second to get a little bit more paranormal here and more ancient, because um, you just think about this. We've had stories from the mythological history that discuss the underworld. In fact, the underworld became an archetypal story within mythology. The journey to the underworld, right? Where do all the evil ones go? Where is the devil hiding? Where is all these devils hiding? They're underground, right? 
So imagine ancient minds trying to grasp little brushes with this reality, how they would conceptualize it, how they would write it down. It wouldn't come through clear with all this left brain documentation because that's not how the ancient mind functioned. It would come through the mythology, it would come through the oral traditions. A lot of the books and the documentation of some of these things have vanished. We've got traces that they existed. We have little pieces and fragments in the Apocrypha and these ancient texts from all over the world. Um, but a lot got burned down in these burnings of libraries. A lot got stolen and sequestered by these elite forces. That's what I believe. Um, so there is something that's known here. There is an operation going on. You plug in what Charles Fort had to say about it. I get into that in my series, and I'm going to be using the last three chapters to sort of flesh that out of my Cult of the Medic series, just to put it on the table for you. Um, but you have the modern documented cases of these underground facilities that are also, he mentioned it earlier, and in this whole presentation, he talks about how a lot of these facilities were just built in already existing underground tunnel systems that were ancient and then expanded, right? So then if I go over to, uh, and I read this in the Fallen Angels and Underground World, but I'm going to do it again here just so it's in this podcast. Um, this is a section of my colleague, Michael Tessarian's book, Atlantis, on Atlantis. And he goes into, what I love about that book is it's basically an encyclopedia of just tidbits of ancient texts and documentation and stories and it's uh, different theories on this from all over the world. And so let me just read through this uh, when it comes to the underground world and just some of the stuff coming out of the mythologies. In The Coming Race, uh, this is a book called The Coming Race, written by Edward Bulwar Lytton. He speaks of advanced beings inhabiting caverns beneath the Earth's surface. He refers to these beings as the Ana, saying they were forced underground due to a flood that destroyed their civilization thousands of years before the biblical cataclysm. Then you have the Hopi Indians who speak of an underground world called the Sipapuni, where their tribe actually originated according to their myths. Interestingly, G. Warren Shufelt discovered underground tunnels beneath Los Angeles, which the Hopi believe were inhabited by a lizard race over 5,000 years ago. And then you got some interesting articles that we showed in that other podcast coming from the LA Times decades ago, talking about the fact that there were these reptile beings living under LA and all this kind of stuff. And, and you just look at what comes out of Hollywood and you wonder... Um, then you have in the book Agartha by Robert E. Dickoff, he recounts the story of a Tibetan monk who learned that a secret alliance between reptilian beings and human sorcerers, the cultists, was responsible for causing chaos amongst Earth's surface societies. Apparently, the subterranean evildoers projected bioenergetically disturbing frequencies into the minds of human beings. Dickoff wrote that the monk led 400 warrior monks into the caverns to do battle with an ancient serpent cult. And you got from David Icke's book, The Children of the Matrix, he says 36 underground facilities have been discovered in Cappadocia so far, and some are huge complexes going down eight levels or more. The ventilation systems are so efficient that even eight floors down, the air is still fresh. These are ancient structures, guys. 30 vast underground cities and tunnel complexes have also been found near Derinkuyu in Turkey. In uh, the book, The Secret in the Bible, 
author Tony Bushby writes, historical documents recorded that during the 20th century, staggering discoveries not spoken of today were made at Giza and Mount Sinai, and Egyptian rumors of the discovery of another underground city within a 28-mile radius of the Great Pyramid abound. Then you have John Rhodes, who recounts the discoveries of G.E. Kincaid, who apparently discovered a massive underground city that was cut out into a wall of the Grand Canyon with the precision equaled only to that of the Great Pyramid. And there's some interesting stuff with the Grand Canyon, guys, and, and the whole the America underground, you know, the ancient stuff. It's amazing. The highly advanced civilization that inhabited this subterranean city was of unknown origin, according to these myths. Then you have a Smithsonian Institution team who discovered hundreds of rooms, some as small as an average living room and others as large as several hundred feet in length and breadth in some of these uh, ancient tunnel systems. It was estimated that the area explored so far by the team could have comfortably housed about 50,000 people. Then you have scholar and researcher J.J. Hurtak, who declares, in our village in Africa, the Far East and the mountains of South America, we have come across a statuary of very grotesque beings who, according to the Indian and shamanistic tradition, went into the earth at the time of a great cataclysm. Even Apache Indians speak of tunnels between their lands and the city of Tiananmen in Bolivia. They claim their ancestors traveled for years by subterranean routes and that the tunnels were carved out by rays that destroyed the living rock and were created by beings who live near the stars. This is from uh, a book, Ariel's Machine by Christopher Knight and Robert Lomas. Then you have the Irish mythology of the Tuatha de Danann, a tribe of powerful druids who descended into the underworld through so-called sides. Indeed, volumes could be written on the subject of the hollow earth. The ancient city of Beersheba has many underground rooms and tunnels dating back to the 4th millennia BC. In 1951, at 50 sites in the northern Negev and particularly near Beersheba, researchers found the ruins of numerous villages. These were not on the surface, but instead they were completely underground. Running at a depth of 20 feet, these tunnels form a network like an underground city. These cities have been dated to about 3000 BC. R.A. Boulay from the book Flying Serpents and Dragons says that 36 additional sites have been located, one near Oz Kanak, which was the home of 60,000 people estimated. Then you have a similar city at Kayamakali, which was connected to it by a tunnel over six miles long. Altogether, it estimated that all these Anatolian cities could accommodate from a half to one million people underground. We're almost through it here. In 1572, a select and hardy group of about 500 German colonists originating mainly from Prussia are hired as a soldier, as soldier mercenaries by Sebastian I, King of Portugal, to man a garrison up in the Amazon River. Later, the group had problems with the local Indians and during their getaway stumbled upon a cave entrance on the side of a mountain. Exploring the cave further, they found entrances to deep underground tunnels. Factions of this German colony reemerged in 1647, headed by a German called Van Luckner. The colony broke into several underground cities for over a period of several hundred years. Cities were established. These colonists also discovered another civilization with linguistic roots similar to German who had descended to Earth 
some 30,000 years ago in response to a reptilian invasion of Earth, or so the stories tell us. These people were called the Bods, and they were descended into the Earth through tunnels in what is today Iran, Pakistan, and Syria. And it is important to understand that the surface Germans originated from the Bodlanders who surfaced through tunnel openings in the Black Forest in Bavaria. And now that we are informed of what ancient lore has to say about prehistory, we make greater sense of the following commandment. You shall not make yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is under the water of the earth. And that's from Exodus 24. Act 20, verse 4, sorry. Now, many of the world's quaint myths and tales, such as those featuring dragons, dwarfs, trolls, elves, little people, and kings under the mountain, etc., allude to subterranean regions. Many Native American Indian tribes, particularly the Navajo, the Hopi, and the Zuni, speak of a period when their ancestors resided in a subterranean world after a great cataclysm that tore Earth's surface to shreds. Author David Hatcher Childress recounts many legends directly referring to the underworld refugees of the ancients. In connection with this story, it is notable that among the Hopi Indians, the tradition is told that their ancestors once lived in an underworld in the Grand Canyon until dissension arose between the good and the bad and the people of the one heart and the people of the two hearts, according to the legend. Machetto, who was their chief, counseled with them to leave the underworld, but there was no way out. The chief then caused a tree to grow up and a piece of the root of the underworld, and then the, pe the people of one heart climbed out. That's from the lost city of Atlantis. So it's endless. There's so many references like that in that book, and I've got a whole library full of stories like this that talk about ancient myths that have to do with underground caverns, cities, um, and that there is something very dark underground. There are people that fled under there during times of cataclysm and war and, and all of that going on on the surface. But then in their fleeing to the underground, they come across interactions with these beings that are not human in, in their description. Is that all just campfire stories? Is it just conflated allegory? Is it, or is there something true about it? So the reason I'm bringing that in is it's just another interesting thing to get into on this subject is you've got all the hard nosed, left brain, logical connections that you can make to black budget projects, underground facilities, military, deep underground military facilities. And then you can look logically the next step towards what's going on in the criminal underworld that we're learning a lot more about. And then you can go into the speculations of, well, what did the ancient legends talk about? What does the Bible say about this stuff? What do many uh, Aboriginal tribes and native tribes say about this stuff? And how do we dissect truths from that, from the flowery language of myth and allegory? And maybe the need for the flowery language of myth and allegory was there to preserve the stories because otherwise they would have been completely excised from the record if they were too factual, right? So there's just that angle of it. So I thought that I'd put that in there. Now, what I'm going to do is there's a little clip that I put up uh, on my telegram, which actually inspired me to, to kind of look up these notes. This is supposedly a, I, and I'm saying supposedly because I don't know, there's no way to vet it. This was a woman who was interviewed. Um, I think it was on Stu Peters or something, but had an interesting tale 
of her survival as a trafficking victim. And she makes some very outlandish sounding claims about just the level of people that she was dealing with uh, when it came to trafficking. And it, it reminded me of people like Kathy O'Brien and, uh, you know, what some of the other people that have come out. I've even, even interviewed some of these people. Um, few of them make the accusation against specific names in power, um, but some of them do. And you just, it makes you wonder. So I don't know for sure, but she does say something very interesting in relation to the underground network. So let's play the clip. You decide if you believe it to be true. Um, but either way, it's just yet another anecdote of stories that I've heard for a long time in this arena. So let's take it away and I'll come back to you. Through many elite places, um, I went from the Buckingham Palace to uh, under the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, still under the uh, custody of Child Protective Services, uh, the child welfare system. Um, and everybody is so worried about the elite and we could give those names of Barack Obama, Joe Biden. We know about Michelle Obama. That's a man. We know about, um, too short. We know about Akon and Steven Tyler and we can give those names all day. And everybody is so worried about that. But what you should be worried about is the people that are in between the people that go as low as your grave diggers. I was trafficked to people within my schools. Uh, I was trafficked in underground tunnels that link under your schools, uh, through your cemeteries under uh, your, your amusement parks, through Universal Studios, and into Hollywood elite homes um, all over the place, all over the world. And people don't understand that, and they can't fathom that, and they can't put that together. But if you think about the things that have come out, that, excuse me, come out lately, and there's 200 children missing, and there's 300 children missing, what, what Amber Alert did you receive? How many times do you receive an Amber Alert every, every year? And if you think about that, how many children are coming up in your face that have been tortured and abused like this. It exists and it's real. And people don't want to face it. It happens in your schools, your schools every day as your grave diggers, your trash men. Everybody is involved, but everybody is looking at the top and that's just a small percentage and you really need to look at the people in between. So the names that you just mentioned, Barack Obama, Steven Tyler, Joe Biden, Michelle Obama, have you had personal sexual experiences with these people yes these people participated in sex abuse firsthand with you yes can you tell that story because that's important for people to understand and, and to know and to this point i don't think a national platform has given you the opportunity to say those things no, because everybody is complicit. It, it, everybody is complicit. It is covered up by your local FBI. It is covered up by your local police department. Shocking, I know. Uh, seems a bit, wow, really? But after some of the guests I've had on my show and some of the research I've looked at, whether all of that is specifically accurate or not, the theme of it is there's so many resources for that. There's so many people that have claimed this and have, have experienced this. Uh, and you have to do your diligence as a researcher to decide who you believe and who you don't. But to me, um, there's more than enough smoke when you put it all together. If you, if you listen to that and then you go listen to a few hours of Ted Gunderson doing uh, presentations, I mean, that just adds another level, doesn't it?
And then you put it together with what Dr. Souter's bringing up and the whole picture, just how big is it? It's almost so big that it's impossible for me or any of us to hold all of those data points in our head at the same time while we're thinking about the subject. That's how big it is. It's also something that's very uncomfortable for us to think about. So your mind is fighting you the whole time. Most of the time when you hear people's doubts about this, especially, I love it when you're telling somebody for the first time and they're immediately like knee-jerk reaction. It's impossible. It couldn't be. I'm like, oh, really? I hope, I hope you're right. Please prove me wrong. How much research have you done? Where's your source? What do you, and they got nothing. It's just, they're just, it's a reaction. You know, if there's actual evidence to prove it wrong, great. We want to see it because the truth is all that matters. But most people don't even think past the first thought that comes to their head that's based off their own personal logic as to whether or not they think it's true or not. And that has no bearing on whether it's true or not. Your belief in a thing has little to do with whether that thing is real or not. People believe a lot of crazy stuff all the time. And maybe some of this is crazy to believe. But maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't as crazy as we thought. That's all we're trying to establish here. And all this is, is not for me to try to go, let's just stay in speculationville, but just to open up your curiosity to go and say, well, let's look into it. And, and what can we find? I also liked how Dr. Souter was making an appeal to people in the intelligence world, people that are in the classified world. I would extend that to anybody in any industry whether you're working in a government, whether you're working in the corporate world, wherever you are. If you see something, say something. This is the era of whistleblowers because this is the era of truth. Truth is on the march. Not sure if you've noticed. It's not going to stop. It's going to win. And what side of history are you going to be remembered on? It's that simple. I know you guys took oaths. I know there's this whole thing going on, but... If you're serving evil, I don't care what oaths you took. Which are you serving, evil or humanity? What's it going to be? That's where we're at. So I hope more people come out, more victims of this insidious trade of human farming. That's what it is. You call it human trafficking, but to me it's human farming. Who's doing that? Just a bunch of greedy bankers? <laughs> Maybe. But I think it's much deeper than that. Now, let me just uh, play this little clip from an interview I did uh, 2020 with Shane Bales. Um, and he just had some interesting things to say about it. And he does get into, in the interview, he does get into the maglev trains. Oh, and maybe I'll, I just couldn't find that clip for this clip, but it is in that full interview. You can find that in this full interview on my iTunes or my Podbean. But just on the maglev train thing, let me just remind you that in this book, it's chapter four. Chapter four goes into the whole system, the Swiss Metro, the underground high-speed maglev tunnel systems. You have Robert Goddard's vacuum tube shuttle system, uh, Michael Minovich's deep underground tube shuttle. He's got all the drawings and the schematics of the fact that they nailed not only how to build these systems, they've got it right down to the details of even the cost of building it. And this was done in the 60s and 70s. So if you think they didn't build it or they didn't do anything with all this money they spent researching whether they could make it happen, I mean, 
again, oh, we're speculating, but I mean, you just add it up. Do you really think they would put all this money and time in to try to develop that technology and then never use it? And if they had that ability to build it way back then, decades ago, where do you think they've caught they've got to now? Right? So here's the clip. The way that these things work is, you know, there's the bloodlines that you know, the main 13, and then a lot of researchers have, have discovered that there's like offshoots of them through marriage and uh, different, you know, uh, breeding and, and whatnot. But not everyone who has that last name is necessarily involved with their cults or their programs or their projects. They can, they can kind of just be beneficiaries, if you will. Maybe they live that lifestyle, high-end lifestyle. But even within what people call the Illuminati, not everyone lives that lifestyle either. A lot of them are kind of, you know, more low key and that's important for keeping things secret and still having the influence in all the different areas of the world. Cause it's, you know, it's important obviously to have people at the top of the food chain and politics and law enforcement and everything else. But, you know, people ask questions at all levels. Um, I guess it's a Richard Hoagland thing about saying that there's the lie is different at every level as well. Right. And so, Keep in mind that these things are very compartmentalized and not everybody knows what's going on. I got to see inside of a bunch of different, what I refer to now as cults, which is all the different secret societies. Like I've been involved with Freemasons and Rosicrucians and a bunch of different types, Knights Malta. But most of the people who are truly in control of them are not on your news. They're not on your TV and they're not celebrities. They're not somebody you know. Um, they are people who live in places that are very, you know, obscure from the general public and control things from behind the scenes. There's a structure there <clears throat> that kind of I've broken down into programs, projects, and cults. So the cults are what most people see a lot of the time, which are, you know, the Freemasons and all of those different names that you could drop. They are involved in the projects because what a project is is something that kind of branches out over the world. It's like a, like a community project or a uh, something that's meant to steer a country in a certain way or where we're at today where they're actually doing the global projects, right, where and things like that. And the program side is more of the, the underground world, the various black projects, the secret programs and stuff that they're running children through and everything like that that has to do with technology and, um, you know, the real kind of secrets of our, our human existence over there. And then they all overlap from one side to the other into the middle of the bringing that out into the public, right? So the programs come out with some information, the cults come out with other information, they put all that information together in the projects and it comes out to the people. So that's kind of how they're doing it. And that's why all these different, you know, groups have to exist from, you know, the military say on one side and then different, you know, even levels or compartments within the military. Uh, things that you would hear come out of someone like Bob Lazar or, um, get reported by the, the Richard Dolans of the world, right? And then you've got on this far other side, the, the cults and all of the, you know, sacrifices and rituals and things that are going on behind closed doors over there. So then when you get even deeper into it, it becomes more extreme in that, like, you know, most of the people in the military have no idea what's going on underground. They don't even know that a lot of these underground bases exist under, under a kilometer, but they're a lot deeper than that. There's a lot more of that. There's a, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's things all over the planet that just, you know, people aren't aware of that are, they're just there. It's just, they're not, no one talks about them. So they, nobody knows about them. So, you know, within military, it's really easy to kind of, you know, don't ask questions.
of your superiors, and then your superiors have more information than you, and their superiors have more information than them, and their superiors have more information all the time. We all know that this order is coming down from, you know, someone way up in the White House, right? Using American politics as an example. That's compartmentalization. So when you well, it's the technology that they've been using for a long, long time now to connect all the underground network, like their underground network. They just brought it up to the surface. Because so now it's bringing their underground network to the surface quite literally. And it also means that anything that's going on the surface can then be brought down. They want to be able to be able to create like a more or less a digital version of our planet that they can manipulate and watch and, and do whatever they want. So that's what um, this technology gives them the ability to do is like literally, and we're doing it for them. It's again, how technologies go together. You've got like Google, um, things like Pokemon Go, where you're walking around with your phone like this and you're mapping things. These augmented reality games that they're putting out are all feeding all this information back into this AI system that's then basically creating a 3D map of the planet so that there is no hiding, there is no you know, surveillance, and they can actually start to get into all the nooks and crannies of everything. You can't run away from them and all of those things. Total so that's immersion. One big capability. Yeah. Total and, immersion. Um, and then from there, it's like a plug-and-play system for them that they can just start adding all kinds of new technologies into. Fascinating discussion. Um, think of your metaverse. Think of Silicon Valley. Think of everything we learned about the medics and the history of all these different things, the architects of control, how they function, how they function through history. You got all the myths and legends. You got whistleblowers galore coming out over a long period of time. My thing is always like, what happens when you put it all together? What does that do? What does that do? And I think we've all got that sense, regardless of any research we've done, there's a sense that we know that there's something more to the world. There's something more happening around us, under us, over us, whatever. There's even stuff happening within us that we don't want to consciously focus on or talk about. But just the sense, follow that sense. That's what I, as a kid, I always had this sense that there was a, there was sort of a veil that needed to be looked behind. There was secrets to be known. There was mystery. This is why I've always been fascinated with these subjects. And I followed that. I followed that intuitive feeling and I definitely realize that I don't have it all figured out. It's impossible. It's just impossible to even in how many lifetimes you might have here to, to hack it all. It's that big. It's that big. That's where I've come to. And so it's, it's, it's really what I'm going to do as I continue episodes on this subject is just keep bringing in these little seemingly separate pieces of information and see if we can't connect it as, and we're going to do that on this show as we are in the time where things are being declassed and more people are speaking out from Hollywood, from within these different circles, from all kinds of different institutions. And, uh, what you'll find when you start to see, like zoom out of all of it is you're just going to see, wow, this is so incredibly massive. Now I understand the need for the secrecy. I understand the need for it. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it's right. I just get it. <laughs> that's all where, that's where I'm at. Of course, of course there's a hidden empire 
they're moving into your government right now. They've been moving into your government and into your corporations and into your the various seats of power and influence for a long time. And we're just slowly going, oh my God, we didn't notice them before, but now we're noticing it because the policy is coming in, the world that's being created is just getting to be so obvious that that is why we have so many more people that are feeling that intuitive feeling I was talking about. There's something wrong with the world, the way it's been presented. Now, I don't personally jump to the level of going, oh, well, that means the world is all a big holographic illusion. It doesn't even exist. Or they're trying to, like, I don't go there. There's, there's, uh, you know, you got to be, in my opinion, a little sharper on it and get more into the details of everything before we let the mind jump to these big conclusions, whether they're true or not. I mean, everybody to their own. But have a sophisticated approach to this subject. Just be open-minded and just realize this isn't about being right or wrong. This isn't about proving it and being the first one to discover it and getting all the accolades. This is about finding out the answers to the questions about who and what is really running this planet. Who and what is really moving the direction of humanity towards a very specific direction? And is that our destiny? Is it organic or is it being guided? And are the people doing that guiding serving the best interest of humanity or are they actively working against it right because now when you plug in the whole transhumanism thing and i guess another complimentary episode that i've done on this would be my show called ancient transhumanism where i'm pulling that up and it's very similar to this where i'm asking that question all this stuff about ai and transhumanism and the notion of a transcendental man and the new human and the new world where did that really come from? Did it come after the advent of technology as we know it? Or A, has technology existed on this planet longer than we can imagine? Is that a blind spot we need to look down and look and see? Or B, is there an ongoing project to change and groom and manage the human being? And if that's the case, who's doing it and why? Then the last one, C, would be, are these guys the only show in town? Is the dark side of all these institutions, the corrupt deep state side of all of this, the military, are they, are, are they the only players on this board? If we have secret society networks going back through millennia, influencing politics and building and collapsing of empires for centuries has that always only ever been a negative dark force working against the best interest of the bulk of humanity for the purposes of serving some hidden empire or is there another side to the secret networks is there a actual occult war <laughs> occult meaning hidden is there a hidden empire but is there also a hidden war happening now that may have also been happening for a long time because here's another thing in those ancient myths they don't just talk about the forces of darkness do they they also talk about the forces of light they talk about the forces of good and virtue the forces fighting for humanity it's even in the ancient uh, epics of gilgamesh and the uh, sumerian tales where you have enlil and enki as the as the as the arc these um creatures or beings depicted as being one 
looked at humanity as an animal to be culled and herded and controlled and managed. And the other looked at it as a project that was worth investing in and working on a more benevolent side of it. You have the same thing with all these different religions. You have your antagonist and your protagonist. So when I gather that, again, looking at it comparatively and just pulling back and trying to find some reality to it, I would say, have we been told by our ancestors and right up to the present moment that on this planet, there is literally a, a war for A, the resources, the control, the, the building of power and all of that. But are, is there something about us humans that is, is very special and unique that has given the incentive for this war that I'm describing? It's just a question. It's just a speculation. But it comes from looking at all of this. And I feel like it also brings a little bit of hope to the situation that, as I say all the time, to calm your instinct to go to the black-pilled side of the force, uh, that evil is not the only force at work. And I know that because we do see good things. We do see good in the world. We do see amazing innovations. All this technology that they're using to build their underground lairs, it's brilliant technology that could liberate humanity, right? They just don't want us to have access to it because then that destroys their monopoly game. What if, it, what if you find out that the valuable thing within you is your DNA? What if that's one of the prizes here? What if that's what the farming is all about? What if that's what the business of blood is all about? I just threw that actually, that's also in what chapter, where did I do that? Chapter five, I think. Chapter three, chapter five, can't remember. Business of blood. If you go on my YouTube channel and my uh, rumble, I have a little video called blood biz where I get into that kind of a dark subject and you start wondering, well, why what's about the blood? What's with all these rituals? When he was, when Shane was talking about the, the ritual side on the occult level. And then I've had other people come on and describe these things. What's with all this obsession with blood? What's with the symbolism of blood and all of these Hollywood movies and the Grammy halftime shows and all the ads now Maybelline and, they're all using this very dark cult like symbolism has to do with blood. What is the blood? It's the holy blood, holy grail. It's the carrier of information. Right. Um, and so what if that is one of the prizes? You just got to think about it. I mean, look what we humans do to animals and the flora and fauna of this planet. And is it such a stretch to think that either a breakaway group of humans that went psychopathic and became very anti-human because of all their dark occult practices and influences from whatever, or are we talking about something not human at all at the core, otherworldly? Either way, the agenda that we're looking at right in front of our faces is very anti-human. It goes against what you as a normal average person would consider to be a right action in the world, right? Like, and you got to wonder what's explaining this level of secrecy, evil, corruption, what explains it? What explains it? So this is just my attempt to add another, another piece of the puzzle to, to for you to consider when you're researching this stuff. And then I have a few final comments, but before I do, let me just share this, uh, 
this little trailer for a documentary that is oh back here it's a documentary that came out i don't know 10 years or something somebody just made it a homemade film called the underground and uh it features the story the true story of phil schneider who i've spoken about a lot who's another one to bring in his testimony and it's got Richard Dolan in it. He starts bringing up all kinds of stuff, but I just thought it was interesting in relation to what we're talking about. So let me just play it for you. It's only a couple minutes and then I'll come back to you. Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archuleta Mesa here. The mountain overlooks Dulce. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. A Reuters investigation says since 1996, the Pentagon has spent $8.5 trillion in taxpayer money that has never been accounted for. I'm Phil Schneider, government geologist as engineer, structural engineer with aerospace applications. I was involved in something very controversial, almost totally unbelievable to most of you. I was involved in building a base inside of Dulce, New Mexico, on the southwest part of the Archuleta Mesa. In this process, I was lowered down the basket of one of these holes, and about from me to this elderly woman here in the front, was sitting a seven-foot-tall alien gray. The stench was worse than the worst garbage can you can imagine. And I killed two of them. Yes, they're mortal, and they do die. This is a secret that has to be kept, and anyone who threatens that secrecy has got to be handled, whether by discrediting that person or failing all else. So it's an interesting film. Uh, it's kind of pieced together. I liked it because they have uh, Dolan in there. They've got Phil Schneider in there and they have Dr. Richard Souter in there. They got a whole bit on it. And um, so if you go on YouTube and you look up Dr. Richard Souter, he's got some great presentations. I'll link the full presentation, what I took apart today for you. I'll link that over on my Telegram channel. Uh, again, DW Truthware on Telegram. That's where I post all my stuff there. And then, of course, get the book. Just get the book, read it. What I love about this book is it's, I don't know if you guys can see, <clears throat> he's actually got screen prints of all these documents with the, the numbers of them. So you can go look them up in the record and you can start getting into it. Like this is a whole chapter on project. Uh, what's this one? Yeah, this is... Um, a three-page declassified project paperclip memorandum dated June 16, 1947. So they've got all these memos and, and all this stuff about the bringing over of these Nazi scientists into America. And then these are declassified documents about what's under Washington, D.C. And again, I don't know, some of these are declassified, but a lot of them are just public record. You just have to seriously go look at it. And then he's got diagrams. So everything he was breaking down in that presentation, yeah, the, he, the whole chapter with those same diagrams that we were looking at in the presentation, he gets into it so you can get more of the details. Okay, so the, the details and the sources are in the book. Um, and as we do this, I'm going to be finding some other great revealers of this subject 
to showcase for you guys on the show so that, you know, again, you just have another, another piece of this puzzle. And I guess the final comments I have before I wrap, cause I don't want this to go too long is as we're looking at all these mysteries, they're fascinating. It's such a fascinating uh, Rubik's cube to get into. I, I truly love it. it. It also is helping to clarify what's happening. And uh, we're trying to get into what we haven't been told and try to learn the truth. But you, there's a very um, personal aspect to this kind of research. I don't know if any of you've noticed it, if, if you've been doing this for any period of time, that you yourself go through an absolute roller coaster of ideas and concepts and emotions. And it's a bit of blood, sweat and tears, isn't it? But that, that process is not to be hid. For, you don't hide from that process. You don't run from that process. You don't not do this because it gets uncomfortable at times. This is truth warrior. That's what we're here to do. We're here to go into it and learn how to become comfortable being uncomfortable because that's what the truth requires. And as you're studying the objective world and you're learning about these subjects and forming your own theories and ideas on them, okay? Because they're so big and mysterious and there's only so much we know, we can never have a final word on it. But as you do it, I'm hoping that there's some personal development that happens for you as a person, regardless of what ends up being true with all of this, because so much is out of our control of, of it anyways. We're just, we're just sitting there looking through the window at it, right? But you can take some relevance from it, from just the process of this or any other subject that you're going to inquire into. Always look at it like what that Bruce Lee I love that Bruce Lee statement. He's like, all knowledge is ultimately self-knowledge. You are learning about yourself. When we talk about the underground world on the physical world, in the physical world, you're also learning about the fact that you have an underworld journey that you're going on as a living, breathing being in your, in your psyche and in your, in, your, in your mind and in your body and in your soul. You're going through the ignorance cycle to... The knowledge cycle you're going through the fear cycle to the courage cycle you're going through the hate cycle to the love cycle you're you're going through the underworld journey and i did another complimentary uh show to listen to would be the interview that i did with um the lovely laura lee scaife who's a good friend of mine i did the whole series with her on the lord of the rings the great myth of our time there's many aspects of that myth in that story too of the underworld journey tolkien was talking about um, and we did a good show on the underworld journey and sort of the symbolic archetypal aspects of it. So there's the underworld of the planet, and then there's your inner underworld. And in the same way that all of us are trying to find out the truth and the secrets and the mysteries of what's under what's happening under the veil of the world, uh, you're, you really are indirectly penetrating the secrets of what's happening under your world inside. And hopefully it's not just for the sake of doing it, but that the goal is you're trying to come out of that underworld journey better, improved, stronger, more intelligent, more empathetic, more knowledgeable, right? Empowered even. Even though you're looking at some pretty dark stuff from time to time. Even though you're going to go through challenges psychologically and spiritually and emotionally when you look into this stuff. Nobody's saying you wouldn't. In fact, people like me, I look at it as I embrace the grind on that. I've had many of those underworld experiences personally doing this. 
And I feel like it's only made me better. It never made me more jaded. It never made, as to my knowledge anyways, uh, it never made me more depressed or more angry or more worried. In fact, it's eased it. It's done the opposite. And I think it just has to do with the type of mindset you have when you go in. So take this for what it's worth. Um, look into it for yourself, come to your own conclusions. But again, don't just make it about, wow, does underground bases are there aliens or their government secret programs? What are they doing? You know, the criminal world. It's not just about that. That's just entry level. The real work is when you can take that and then reflect on it and bring relevance to your inner journey and say, yeah, there's secrets. Somehow I got secrets, underground bases happening inside of me that need to be excavated and looked at. You know, there, and, and maybe there's an inner conspiracy where I am trying to block myself from really gaining some insight from traumatic experiences I've had in my life, or I'm censoring parts of myself because I'm afraid of what other people think of me or, you know, so the, the outer studying, the outer conspiracy is really about studying the inner conspiracy against the true nature and the true power and the magnitude of what and who you are. And so that's how I wanted to really present this and wrap it up is that you can find relevance no matter what your final conclusions are on these different issues. It's kind of irrelevant because none of us really know for sure. What's really relevant is what did you gain from it? Aside from some entertainment and wow, that's crazy. And that's pretty interesting information. What did you gain from it? What have you learned from it on a personal level that you can apply directly into your life? To me, that's the best kind of uh, research or, or information is information that has that power. And um, I just wanted to maybe close with this little thing I posted the other day. I hope it, uh, it helps. Um, oh, just this real cool quote from Tesla, where he says, my brain is only a receiver. There is a certain nucleus in the universe from which we receive knowledge, power, and inspiration. I have not understood the mysteries of this nucleus, but I know for a fact that it does exist. You know, awesome stuff. And then just don't follow the crowd. Don't follow what the crowd's doing. Look at the crowd right now. It's not, uh, it's not going in a positive direction. Be the strong one that has the ability to retain yourself through this process. Learn to follow your intuition, sharpen your reason, and have the courage to be yourself. That's the key. Have the courage to be yourself. It's hard to be yourself. It's hard to just come out and state your true opinions and be who you are. And you're getting laughed at and scolded and censored for just even speculating about any of this stuff. Who cares? That's what the world does because the world want, doesn't want it the truth. The truth is too, is too strong. So you, you don't, they don't want it. So why would you judge yourself based on people that don't really want the truth? They're not serious about it. They want to live a comfortable lie that's been sold to them and prepackaged for them by the very people we've been talking about and exposing. And you don't have to go out like that because there's greatness in you and you have greater things to do. You have greater mysteries to unlock both internally and externally. You have work to do here. You came here. You want to learn this stuff for a reason. Not just because it's entertaining, not just because it's interesting, but because there's a part of your soul. I believe this. I'm, this is how I think about why I wanted to do this stuff was because you're being prompted by higher forces. You're being prompted by deeper parts of yourself that you maybe don't even know 
to go and, and learn these great truths and try to uncover these mysteries. And in doing so, uncovering the mystery of who you are and what your purpose is. So who is anybody to get in the way of that and judge you and go, oh, I think you're wrong on that. Yes, yeah, screw you, man. What are you wrong about? You who is out sin, cast the first stone and just walk right past and keep going forward. Be the, be the greatness that's in you. Don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of these dark powers. They want nothing more than for you to be afraid. They live off your fear. So don't give it to them. Don't live in fear. Develop courage. Find out the truth. Most of your fear is about what you don't know. So fix that by knowing more things about the things you don't know. And in doing so, you'll resolve your fear. And don't follow what other people are doing unless they're doing something that actually is inspiring and, and beneficial. Don't just do it for the sake of it because it's popular. It's what's vogue. It's what's in fashion. That changes, as you can see, in the by the nanosecond right now. It's like our culture has ADHD. And so don't judge yourself on that standard. Judge yourself on a higher standard, on a cosmic standard, on a divine standard, on a human standard, and on the standard of the truth. And that's the goal. Even if you don't always have it, even if you don't always know for sure, you're orientated towards it. You're seeking it. And it will reveal itself. I believe it. And I hope we learn more on this subject. So I'm going to do more on it on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Let me know in the comments if you'd like me to do a part two, and I'll start getting that ready. Um, I'm also working on a new Truth Warrior Premium that's going to be called The Occult Conspiracy. So uh, we'll be diving into some of the deep uh, aspects of that subject. Um, and I'll be doing more on this show and also on some of the other programs I'm involved with. Uh, you can follow me over also on unslave.com. I do this research project with Michael Tessarian. We get into many different aspects of this. Um, and then also on Earth Chronicles. Every Wednesday, I'm there with my good friend Josh Reed. And we do a show 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Rumble on uh, Badlands Media. We've been doing some really, really cool shows. And we just had the honor of interviewing the great G. Edward Griffin. I think it was a really, really good show. I really enjoyed it. It turned out really well. And I can't believe that guy's 92 years old. And he, even though Josh and I were so excited, we were throwing all kinds of stuff at this at, at Ed. And he took it and he followed us and tracked it and was even joking with us. And he knew exactly where we were going. I can't believe how sharp the man is. So um, go check that out. You can get it on Rumble. Really, really good show. And we've got some other guests coming there. And also I'll be bringing some good guys on here as well for you. So thank you, everybody. Please share it out. Uh, go check out the rest of my work at dwtruthwarrior.com. Oh, and brightyou.com, Brighteon University. Just want to thank Mike Adams and Brighteon for hosting and featuring and promoting Cult of the Medics over there. I'm absolutely blown away. I just got a text from the main producer and they said over 26,000 people on their network signed up to watch Cult of the Medics on the network. So that's, that's pretty crazy. So more people are going to be checking that out. So if you want to go see what they're doing over there, go to brightu.com and you can see it all over there for you. All right. So uh, we'll see you next time, surface dwellers. We'll have more coming your way soon. Cheers, everybody.